Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing one of the members of our Ambassadors Forum, Hannah Mock. Hannah began her education studying the Bible at Multnomah University, got a bachelor's degree in general science at Portland State University, and received her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree at Oregon State University. She has worked part-time as a veterinarian for almost 20 years, but mostly she enjoys just being a Jesus-loving, homeschooling mom of four and a wife of a creative and adventurous engineer. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's start with young people. So you've homeschooled your own children and taught lots of classes as part of your homeschool co-op, many of them in the area of your own education and training, which is science. How do you see God present in the subject of science, and how do you try to pass that on to the kids that you teach? So, I mean, when you start to look into science and really dive deep into the mechanics of how things work and just exploring that deeper, it's really hard to not see God in mm. science. I feel like it takes a lot of effort to to not see God there. Mm. There's just so much beauty that we can't explain, craftsmanship that we can't explain, and just information that we can't explain. So mm. I think it takes kind of deliberate suppression to not see God in science. <laughs> and as far as passing that on, I think it's just exploring with just a really curious and energetic kind of a passion when you're diving into a subject. I feel like kids catch that. So when you're mm. really excited about something and you just want to share it with them, they get excited about it too. Mm. What are some of the examples that you've seen, especially in the area of biology or veterinary medicine? What are some of the life cycle things that you've seen that come to mind when you're like, wow, that is God's fingerprint on design or purpose or function or whatever? I think probably the first time I really just was blown away by that was when I was taking microbiology in college and just looking at a microscopic level down mm. to these tiny little organisms that were just so beautiful and so well organized and planned and, and the machinery in some of those little organisms that it's just mind boggling, like how many pieces have to fit together and come together at one time to create a functioning organism. And then probably also cellular biology or just looking at the state of cells and how intricate they work together. And it's just mind-blowing because thinking back when Darwin was postulating his theories, he believed that cells were just bags of fluid. So mm. the information that we have now and what we can see is just phenomenal. And then being able to share that with kids is amazing, like being able to show them that through microscopes and just the picture ability we have now with scanning microscopes and all that kind of thing is just really beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, you were teaching a class on science, and I brought in that tabletop scanning electron microscope, and the kids were just like blown away. I remember the girls were like, 
you know, plucking pieces of their hair and they're like, Mr. Swart, put my hair in the microscope. I want to see what it looks like, you know, under a microscope. And the boys were like, I want to see what a bug looks like. And <laughs> do you remember that class? Yeah, that was really great to be able to, to show them all that firsthand, not just from pictures or from videos, but yeah, yeah, it, just, yeah. it just really, really showed, showed the beauty in the craftsmanship there and what God has left for us to discover in his world. Yeah, it makes me think of abortion. So years ago, people were like, well, it's not a baby, it's just a clump of cells. And then along came ultrasound technology. And they can say, well, this thing has hands and a heartbeat, a face. And it makes me think like, boy, if there was more people that could see what a baby looks like at six weeks and 10 weeks and 12 weeks, I think it would change the conversation around abortion. And there's so many ministries out there that are doing that where they say, let's bring more light. Let's bring more information to the conversation to guide what we're talking about. And I think that it really does change the conversation. Yeah, that is exactly true. Yeah, I think they've even shown that with being able to show mothers' heartbeat and images of their babies that it really decreases the rate of abortion because there's just no denying that that has created life at that point. I took my younger daughters to OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, and one of the displays that they have there, maybe you've seen this, Mm -hmm. is the gestation of a baby throughout its life. And they actually have actual real babies that for you know some reason or another died in the womb but there's real babies at one week two weeks mm-hmm. three weeks mm-hmm. and the kids are in there looking around and they're like and I remember them saying about six weeks when you can detect the baby's heartbeat but they were like just physically they're like I can tell it's a baby at six weeks and I said yeah that's kind of a around the time when a lot of moms know that they're pregnant is when the baby looks like this and they're like wow it's a baby and I'm like I you know and I wasn't there trying to say well I'm gonna impress my views upon you or I'm going to make you think a certain way and you have to adopt my worldview I just said hey here's the information and they came to the conclusions immediately. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Just thinking about the ways that we've talked about or shown the different discoveries and different things like that. And kids are really quick to see that, to, <laughs> to be able to say, wow, this, there's no way this could have happened by chance. You know, they're very honest. Yes. I think that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed homeschooling. I've enjoyed ministering to kids is one, they're sponges. They're just so, yeah. you use the word curious. They are so curious. They're hungry for information. Mm -hmm. The rate at which they consume it and digest it and synthesize it and then feed it back to you with questions, you're Mm -hmm. like, you get it. (laughs) It's just, it's so fun. It's, It's exhilarating. As you're, you know, you have a lot of experience with, you know, teaching your own kids, come from a large family, nieces and nephews, they've got friends. How would you describe the situation of kids today? What kind of questions are they asking? What kind of answers are they looking for? 
Yeah, I would say that really early on, they're starting to ask very big questions. I started getting serious questions from some of my eight and definitely nine and 10 year olds. They're really looking for the big answers at that point. They're starting to see things that they don't understand completely or pain or suffering in the world Mm. or just things that they've read about or seen or heard from their friends about, you know, how dinosaurs being wiped out or just different Mm -hmm, things. And mm -hmm. they just want to have all those big conversations. They're looking for answers at a really young age. And those are great opportunities to have great conversations. What kind of answers land well with kids who are curious and creative and spontaneous and excited? And what kind of answers don't land well? Okay, well, I think the ones that don't land well would be the very trite or very short answers that are very definitive, like, because the Bible says so, (laughs) (laughs) because I say so, (laughs) Mm, or just giving pat answers. They can tell if you know what you're talking about at that age. (laughs) Wow. They can really tell. So if you're making something up, well, you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) They are looking for the truth. And so Mm. if you don't know it, which is fine, they would really rather hear you say, I don't know, let's explore the topic. Let's Mm. let's dive into this and figure this out together. Mm. But there is a time, maybe younger, five or six or four, when they do just want the simple, look, the Bible is true. God loves you. You know, you are created in the image of God. How can parents understand that transition from, I do need to just give them Mm -hmm. short, simple answers when they're two or three or four. And then at eight or nine or 10, when they want that, you know, I want more engagement, I want more Mm -hmm. description and details. What are some of the signs that parents can look for to know, okay, we're transitioning to a new phase? Mm -hmm. Part of it is kids develop at different rates. All of them do. So some of them are going to be ready earlier and some of them are going to be ready later. So if you've got a real young kid and you start launching into this long discussion about theoretical physics or something and their (laughs) eyes are rolling back in their head, then then you probably, you know, probably need to pull back on that a bit. You start out with the very solid truth. This is true. We know the Bible is true. We know that God is creator and just the the simple basic truths. And then as they start to ask the more questions, often that's where it keys you in. They start to say, well, how do we know that? Mm. Or why does my friend say this? You know, so they start to ask ah, very comparative or more probing questions. And I feel like that's a good indicator that they're ready for deeper thinking. That's a great observation because I know there's a lot of parents out there who say, Ugh, my kid just keeps asking why. We're on the road to the grocery store or to dance or to soccer. And they just go, why, why? And I answer the questions and they say, why? <laughs> It almost sounds like that's a gift. That curious, you know, they want to know that the whys are gifts, not punishments. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And if we as parents can keep that in mind. And and part of the problem, I think, is that we are often so busy that we run our lives Mm. just to the very margin edge. And we don't allow the time that it takes to properly answer those questions. So we see them as a hassle. But they absolutely are a gift. And they're an opportunity for you to explore with your child if you don't know all the answers. That is the the stage when their mind will just soak up any information that they can get their hands on. And it's really fun. Mm. Yeah, I remember one of the aspects about that age that I really like, and that even can benefit me as a parent, is their ability 
to recognize inconsistencies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So if you're like, well, it's because of this, and they're like, okay. And then later you're like, and it's also because of this. If you've you know kind of raised them in a culture where it's okay to voice their opinion and have an opinion, they will be quick to say, uh, wait a minute, Dad, uh, uh, you just said this other <laughs> thing, and now you're saying this thing. You know, what they're saying is those are inconsistent. You've contradicted yourself. I don't know if that's something that goes away or people, you know, because it could Mm -hmm. be interpreted as, you know, rebellious or contentious if they learn to kind of hide that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it seems like it sort of goes away. There's a window there. Mm where they're just so good at it, it could be a benefit to even us. Yeah, yeah, and to point out the flaws in our thinking, because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we've wholeheartedly, you know, not thoroughly thought through a issue or a mm. problem, and we've just kind of jumped on board with, you know, the common thinking, and they are so quick, like you said, to point out those inconsistencies, and if we don't take those seriously, I really do think they, they don't go away, they just suppress them, mm. and those can really fester into doubts and issues later on, I feel like if we're not willing to explore that with them or even correct our own thinking, which happens all the time. Wow. I'm remembering a time when one of my older daughters was right at that stage and we had some friends, I can't remember if they were vegetarian or vegan. I don't remember Mm -hmm. the details, but it was something, you know, she hadn't heard those words before. And so I was kind of trying to describe, well, you know, they're only eating vegetables or or they're vegan because they're concerned about the treatment of animals and mm-hmm. and she's like oh okay cool and she's kind of trying to understand this but then something else that this family did showed a complete disregard for animals mm-hmm. and i remember you know she just kind of blurted out she's like well wait a minute uh you say you're vegetarian because you're concerned about the welfare of animals but then you treat your dog like this or or you do this other thing that show you know she didn't use these words but mm-hmm. her communication mm-hmm. at 5 or 6 years old was like this is inconsistent mm-hmm. i remember the family friends they're just their eyes popped open and they were like <gasps> how dare you, you know, say that thing. (laughs) But I came to her afterwards and I was like, look, honey, you know, there's this whole weird thing about social (laughs) graces (laughs) and interaction. And I'm probably not one to be giving you, you know, instruction on this because I'm not very good at it either. But there's times to say things, there's times to be respectful, Mm -hmm. but that thing that you noticed, Mm -hmm. that was gold. I hope you never lose that ability to say, wait a minute, there's this thing over here and there's this thing over here and they don't match. And well, so Hannah, what has your personal journey, we've talked a lot about kids and teaching and kind of teaching them to think critically and and recognize inconsistencies and be curious. What has your personal journey in apologetics look like? When did you feel like your journey as a Christian, you started understanding this different world of Mm -hmm. understanding your faith at a deeper level and defending your faith? What did that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really blessed to be raised with parents who both were very biblically grounded and also were deep thinkers and encouraged questions. Mm. And I remember 
at about the age of eight, asking my dad about questions about dinosaurs. Like, wait, the Bible says this, but at school they told me this, and you know, what's going on? And he loved to get into that with me, and he would just spend hours talking to me about that kind of thing. So I just really opened my mind to the fact that we can't take things that we're told and just accept them and believe them, but we really need to look at them and, Mm. um, you know, analyze them and see if they're true. And so I feel like I've had an advantage having parents like that. And that kind of set me on that course for life. Kind of my own personal journey, I, you know, went through high school and I did homeschool through middle school. I have experienced Christian school. I think I've been to every kind of school there is. (laughs) But most of my later education was definitely in public school settings and just having a lot of your ideas challenged all the time or just being told downright, you know, that you are foolish or stupid if you would believe this, but no Mm, reasoning, just wholesale dismissal of a lot of views. I think I got used to really researching those topics that would really bug me in my mind. And I would, you know, wonder why they're saying this when you can see this, the Mm. reality is this. So it wasn't until probably when I started in event school, though, that I really felt bullied kind of by the, actually, I shouldn't say that I felt bullied. I would just be quiet. I stopped Mm. bringing up my views because I knew that the, the overall consensus was that if you believed anything other than the common line that you were pretty much considered like a flat earther. So uh, (laughs) I I didn't really want to get lumped in with that crowd. So I pretty much stopped talking about it to Mm. my regret. But Mm. yeah, it wasn't until probably later and having kids that I just realized how, how much it's important for us to learn how to give answers when people come to us with questions. So I really started looking more at that point into how do we give good answers? I had looked at a lot of the scientific facts or or things like that, but not so much as to how do I answer about my faith. So Mm. yeah, it wasn't until probably as my kids were growing up that I really looked into that. Yeah, we did a homeschool trip across the country. I worked for an employer that gave sabbaticals every seven years. You got like two months off. And so we took a big, huge cross-country trip with the, the travel trailer and and hit so many museums mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. And I remember that same topic of dinosaurs because they're cool. Like they're yeah. these huge lizards that are like, whoa, and you see bones and... And I remember that topic was so fascinating to the kids. Mm -hmm. And again, many of them were kind of at that critical age of, you know, elementary school, late elementary school, beginning Mm -hmm. of middle school, where they were like, wait a minute, even within the same museum, they're Mm -hmm. like, this thing over here says this, but then this thing over here says this, and the, the museum doesn't even agree with itself. And I remember that opened up lots of great conversations mm-hmm. for them to say, okay, wait a minute. If I just, like you said, Hannah, if I just took at face value whatever I read mm-hmm. or whatever I was told or whatever I got from the curator of the museum on the tour, I couldn't accept it all because it all contradicts each other. Exactly. And so it's it's not even a matter of I agree or I trust you or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like if I believed everything I was told, I couldn't think because it's all contradictory. Yeah. And that was a great opportunity for us to open up a lot of conversations. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really neat how science does that. It helps us to be able to look and see if things line up with reality or not. <laughs> 
back to the your personal journey in apologetics to get really practical mm-hmm. what are some of the books or mm-hmm. podcasts or other resources that have kind of helped you get your feet or set a foundation and get a few critical early blocks that you could build on later? Okay. Number one, I was pretty much raised on C.S. Lewis, so I've read (laughs) pretty much everything he has to write. And from a really young age, my dad would read those to us. Mm. And I feel like that was a great way to have an introduction to theology that was often disguised in literature. So (laughs) there's a lot of great things from that that I still look back to. So you're saying things like the Chronicles of Narnia, because he wrote some great things, you know, Mere Christianity and and some other kind of theological books, but you're saying even just the stories. stories are so, Uh, so rich. Yeah. Read read the Chronicles of Narnia as early as you can. (laughs) Yeah. They're so rich, but then even some of the other Mm. literature that he writes is just full of pictures. And so the, like the screw tape letters or, um, till we have faces, just, he's got so much great stuff. And then, so when I started kind of seeking more to understand Mm -hmm. my own faith, I think the first author that I really spent a long time on was Francis Schaeffer. And just a very systematic and biblical way of understanding the Bible, I felt like I got through him. So Mm -hmm. especially his book, True Spirituality. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a great place to start if you're struggling with what the Christian life actually requires and what it actually means. And then I think after that, I would say that there's just so many, but for me personally, some of the better ones that I've really enjoyed would be Vadi Bakum and his exegetical apologetics. Mm -hmm. It sounds really cerebral, but it, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's just the call that we're all called to apologetics. Not It's not just for people that have special interest in really hard topics or people that are really smart in the sciences and can refute, you know, the top atheists. Mm. It's just for everybody and how that works because we're all called to give an answer for the faith that we have. Yeah. So that one's really neat. And then as far as how to communicate truth to our kids, this year we've been using Elizabeth Urbanowitz's Worldview Foundations with a group of homeschool kids. And it's been wonderful. The topics are very clear and very straightforward, but they're so deep. And I feel like a lot of the church could probably Mm. benefit from just going through that. It's aimed for that perfect age when kids are just starting to ask questions and it helps you give really solid, really well-rounded answers to a lot of the basics just about, you know, what is truth? (laughs) And her, her lovely answer is truth is what is real. And so, and she has so many great ways of looking at that. So I really appreciate her. And then I would also say Elisa Childers has a great podcast with a lot of information on pretty much everything. And I've really respected her and enjoyed listening to her podcast too. Cool. Yeah. I think the Elizabeth Urbanowitz, we had the privilege of having her at our conference here, as you know, a couple months ago. And yeah, she she just has a way of communicating. It's almost like I would say, you know, to use some of the examples we've talked about in this show, she can communicate Francis Schaeffer truths, (laughs) which are are pretty big. You know, some of those are pretty big (laughs) concepts into kind of Dr. Seuss language where kids can be like, oh, Okay, I get it. That's simple, but it's it's almost deceptive in its simplicity because the yep. truths are so big. Yep. 
And so, yeah, I think if I completely agree with you, if I had one recommendation Mm -hmm. I would give to every church Sunday school ministry, Mm -hmm. it would be get a hold of Elizabeth Urbanowitz's curriculum. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Foundation Worldview Curriculum Mm -hmm. and and start incorporating it into your Sunday school. We'll leave a link. Awesome. Well, it has been great having you be a part of our ministry here in Portland and the Pacific Northwest, Hannah, and and homeschooling with you and Mm kind of doing this journey together with our kids. And so thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Now, how about you? Have you experienced the endless strings of why from your children or grandchildren? Do you see that as a burden or a blessing? Did you recognize that insatiable curiosity is a gift from God to help them better understand the amazing world that he has created? You can go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com for lots of helpful resources on how to develop and articulate your own worldview and pass that on to a generation that is desperate to know their Heavenly Father. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 